brought a Bible with you. Uh, can I encourage you to bring a Bible to church? You don't need to bring a paper copy, bring any copy, okay? I find I'm using this more than anything uh, these days. Uh, my Bible is on the iPad, it's on my phone, it's on my laptop, and uh, all my notes sync, so I find that very helpful. But open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. We're going to read a little bit from there. Yeah, I just wanted to pause for a moment and just to take a wee bit of time to consider what we've been looking at in the book of Acts. You know, call it the Acts of the Apostles, call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Either way, the Holy Spirit is powerfully working in and through the early church as the disciples receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a, such a powerful way. God is at work through these people who are fully surrendered to Him. These are go-anywhere people. Are you a go-anywhere person? It's a, it's a serious question. Are you a go-anywhere person? I remember, I remember having a missionary come and speaking at our church years and years ago, before we were married. Uh, Mary and I met in the Baptist church in Shettleston. And there was a missionary who came and he was sharing. And I remember God really speaking to me and just stuff going on in my heart. I was like, I felt like everything was getting churned up inside. And I thought, God is speaking to me here. I can't remember what he spoke about now, but I do know that he was speaking, God was speaking to me through this man. And I remember at the end of that service, you know, there's an invitation to respond. Uh, and one of the ways that we responded to things was by uh, singing a particular song, which we did on that occasion. And the song was, Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. The verse goes on to say, The fields are white unto harvest, but oh, the laborers are few. So, Lord, I give myself to help the reaping, to gather precious souls unto you. And in that moment, I heard the voice of God. I heard the call of God in my life. And my response was to stand up and sing that song with all my heart, stick my hand up and say, Here I am. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll go and I'll do it. i go anywhere person. Have I always done that? Have I always responded to the challenge? No. There are opportunities which I have missed, sometimes because of the opposition I've been facing. And that's our title today, uh, Opposition and Opportunity. But just to continue reflecting, I mean, the messages that we've uh, been going through on a Sunday are, firstly, that you may know we were in Acts 1, and the whole thing was about having confidence in the gospel, confidence in the scriptures, as the early believers had confidence. You know, Theophilus was already a Christian. The book of Acts was written for this man. He was a Greek. He was already committed. He was already a believer, but this was written that he might be sure of the things which he'd been taught. Theophilus was a, a Greek man, and I just praise God that the message didn't stay in the Jewish camp. It came out to all of us. These early believers were called, convinced, commanded, and commissioned. Then we thought about unity, strategy, and the supernatural. Pentecost was part of God's strategy to reach Jerusalem, starting with the Jews, and then moving out into Judea and Samaria, and to all peoples and to the ends of the earth. We thought about miracles, money, and martyrdom, and uh, we thought about not letting our disability define us, direct us, or demoralize us. And in fact, our disability may be the opportunity that God is looking to demonstrate His power 
So keep faith, keep trusting, and keep seeking God, regardless of what that is. And then last week, we thought about dealing with criticism. And primarily, we thought about not letting criticism seep into our spirits. Because when criticism starts to get in and get a hold and get a root, then all sorts of things grow out of that. We are told to guard our hearts because they're the wellspring of life. The problem is if the water in the well is bitter, then everything that comes out is going to be bitter as well. And then today, we're going to think about, just for a little while, opposition and opportunity. And uh, we're continuing on in Acts 11, and uh, we will read some verses from that. And so let's read uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. I'm going to read a few passages here and then skip over uh, a few passages um, just as we're continuing reading. Um, it says here, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the believers, uh, the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And here's a marker that gives it historical backing. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And if you look back in historical records, you'll find that this is what actually happened. The disciples, each according to his own ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Then we're going to skip a few chapters, a few verses to chapter 13, reading from verse 1. And it says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then we read about uh, what happened as they went off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, 
who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Verse 11, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Amen. What an incredible story to, to read. All of these things are just incredible. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I read about these things. We need to remember that the emphasis of what we're doing and reading uh, as we go through this, the, the readings in Acts, as we look at the, the book Pray and Build, all of this is to help us to think about church growth, to think about us being a healthy church, because healthy things grow. And healthy churches are made up of healthy Christians. Do you believe that? Are you sure you believe that? Are you with me? Or are you somewhere else this morning? Okay? I'm hoping that you're with me because healthy churches are made up of healthy Christians and healthy Christians grow. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing. Can we say over the last year, as we look at our lives, can we say that we have grown as a Christian? Can we say that we have grown in our faith just take between now and last year. And if you're wondering how far back to go, my Facebook tells me it was when the beast from the east was here. And I took a picture of your Land Rover going down the street, <laughs> if you remember. That time of, that time of year, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's a, that's a reference point. Can we go back and say, actually, I can look at my life, I can examine my life and say, I have grown in one way or another as a Christian. I have progressed. I've overcome a certain area of temptation. I've grown in spiritual disciplines or in serving or sharing the gospel with others and loving others and forgiving others, whatever it might be. It's an endless list. Can I ask that we examine ourselves and ask that question, have we grown as Christians since this time last year? I hope we have. And if we've not, then we need to do something about it. The other thing that strikes me as we're reading through the book of Acts is that there is so much material to cover. You know, we could spend the next few years just going through sermons in the book of Acts. There's so much. And you know, in one sense, I apologize for having to skip over things that are maybe your favorite uh, part of the, the, the book of Acts. And one of the people uh, that we didn't consider is Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. Read those verses. You, I hope you have read them already about this man. And even the way that he uh, conducted himself when he was being stoned was just absolutely phenomenal. 
And the only way we can do these things is by being filled with the Holy Spirit, by being filled with God himself. And it was because of this persecution that the church began to be scattered. This is what Acts 11, 19, 21 says. Now, those who had been, per, uh, been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling the good news about Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And essentially, what happened here was that the church grew because of and despite opposition. It was the opposition, it was the persecution that actually made people move out away from the center. And it was through this church being scattered that eventually some people found themselves in this place called Antioch and began to speak to people about Jesus. People who weren't Jewish. Have you noticed that everywhere they went, as Paul began to go on his journeys, he would first go into the synagogue and he would start speaking to Jews. And there's an occasion where he's speaking to the Jews and they start to amass a following and they end up getting opposition and they say, well, we'll go next door. We'll go down to whatever building it is. Say we say, okay, imagine, imagine it was in here, okay? And this was the synagogue and somebody came in and was trying to teach us about this Christian way. We had different ideas about faith, but somebody came in here to start teaching us, and we all kind of rejected that. And imagine them going down to the community center just around the corner there, and hundreds and hundreds of people getting saved. That's, that's what happened. And the, the Jewish people actually, on a lot of occasions, that was where the opposition came from. But the opposition became an opportunity because a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And I want us to think just a little bit about this church at Antioch and then think a little bit, little bit about an example of opposition that we see uh, in the Bible here. Has anybody ever faced opposition as a Christian? Has any, is it, am I the only person who's faced opposition as a Christian? Everybody's faced opposition as a Christian. See, somebody who tells you that coming to Jesus is, well, it is the best decision you'll ever make, but if somebody says it's going to be a great life and an easy life and all that kind of stuff, they're talking about something different from what I've been involved in for all these years, okay? Because we find ourselves being opposed as Christians. When we become a Christian, there's a spiritual battle goes on inside of us. There's always opposition. There are always things to take us away from God rather than taking us towards God. So, we can learn things from the Scriptures that help us to deal with that. But let's think about this church that grew because of, despite of, opposition, the church at Antioch. And the first thing that I want to draw attention to is that this church was planted. They were a group of local believers. It says here, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, we've read that, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Do you know, I thank God for those who had the vision to take the gospel to those other than Jews, Greek people, Gentiles, people at the very ends of the earth. 
And these men who went to Antioch, there was a number of people went to Antioch. Barnabas went to Antioch. Saul went to Antioch. But one of the keys in Antioch is that people received the word of God. And I wonder, I wonder if we're going to grow as a Christian and if we're going to learn how to overcome opposition, we need to have a place in our hearts for the word of God. Because if it's not in here, then what are we going to draw on when the times of opposition comes? In Matthew 13, 23, it says this, Soil, uh, sorry, uh, the, but one of uh, the one who received this, talking about the, the, the parable of the, the sower, the parable of the soil, I skipped a line in my notes there, sorry. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And really, it's talking about the condition of our hearts. What are our hearts like? What is God's word landing on when we come to church on a Sunday or when we're reading our Bibles during the week and we're praying? What is the condition of our hearts like? What is the word of God landing on? And I wonder how or have you, have you prayed over the soil of your heart before you read the word? Have you prayed over the soil of your heart before you come to church today? You know, we kind of think about how do we, how do we get to church? How do, how do we come here? What's the journey from the alarm going off first thing in the morning? And mine's went off very early this morning. My alarm went off at six o'clock this morning. A wee gentle beep beep on my thing on my wrist. No noises, just a wee buzz buzz. There you go. Gentle, gentle. I set another one for seven just in case. <laughs> but I was up at six o'clock this morning, but I'm kind of thinking I need to get myself in the right place. Because, see, when you stand here, you've got to be in the right place, okay? But even if you're sitting down here, if you're sitting down here, you still need to be in the right place to receive what God wants to do, to receive what God wants to say. And have, have we come today to church with an expectation in our hearts? Have we come expecting God to say something, to do something, to speak into our situation? Maybe there are things that are wrong with us and we need prayer. Have we come with an expectation that there's somebody that we can go and ask to pray with us and that God will do something in response to that prayer of faith? How we come to church is important. What God wants to plant in us is important. We read about this church that they were a prepared church. They were grounded in the apostles' teaching. Verse 23, when he arrived, talking about Barnabas, it says, when he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God. Is there evidence of the grace of God in our lives today? Evidence that God is in this local group, in this house, in this church, in this microcosm of the body of Christ, in this building of living stones, you know, what is there? What is lying within us? Is there an evidence that God is here and that God is moving? And when Barnabas saw what was happening, he sought out Paul. And Acts chapter 11, verse 25 to 26 says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. 
The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Imagine that. Imagine having the Apostle Paul and Barnabas at your church every Sunday doing the messages. And by the way, if you think I speak long, Paul could go on all day and all night and right through to the next morning. In fact, he preached so long that somebody who was sitting in a window fell asleep and fell out and they had to go out and pray for the guy and bring him back to the dead, okay? So if you think I preach long, but let's think about this. Let's think about this. If we're hungry for the Word of God, if we're hungry to be fed and to be taught and to grow, does it really matter how long we're sitting listening? Some of the faces are saying, some of the faces are saying, aye, <laughs> either because the dinner's on or because I've been too late in my bed last night, okay? But what's important is that we hear the Word of God in our lives, that we are taught. And can I just say something? We are only prepared to the extent that we have been taught the Word of God. You see, that is our foundation. Jesus as the Word became flesh, He lives in us through His Spirit, but He reveals Himself in us, and He reveals Himself often and most often through the Word. He also reveals Himself in the gifts of the Spirit, but we know God through His Word, through His works and wonders. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20. What happened in these days is foundational for us today. This is foundational. Are we applying ourselves to growth, to learning, and to developing in the things of God? Is there a place for the Word of God in us? Do we desire to be filled with the Spirit? Do we desire to be exercised in spiritual gifts? I was just reading something yesterday um, about how, how bad it is if all we're doing is looking for the gifts and not looking for the giver. Think about that. Imagine it's Christmas time, okay? And you have poured your heart into picking the right present. And you pass over that present. Maybe it's to your wife or your husband. And you pass over that gift and they go, oh, that's great. And then they walk away for you and go, this is brilliant. Look at this. Imagine how you would feel if you gave a gift to somebody and they were more consumed with the gift than they were with you, the giver of the gift. Yeah, the gift might be brilliant and we want to exercise spiritual gifts, but let's not forget the person who gives the gifts, the Holy Spirit himself. Are we seeking after these things? Because I believe part of the grounding of the church is to be filled with the Spirit and it gives us a foundation for receiving the Word of God. This church was a participating church. They gave to others outside of their own community. And not every church is a participating church. By that, I mean participating in the kingdom of God. We're not here to build up our own thing. And I think I've said that often enough that people know that. We're not here to make a, a name for Whitburn Pentecostal Church so that we can be the bee's knees. We are here to build the kingdom of God, to see people come to faith, to see lives transformed, to see those who are bound set free, the captives being released, to see those who are poor becoming rich, to see those who are bound by life circumstances being set free from those, to see 
the change in generations. So when one person comes to faith and is saved and is released and free from all the stuff that's been part of their life and walked so far and it's broken, it means that it's not passed on to the next generation or to the generation after that. This is serious stuff. Participating in the kingdom of God. The example that I come to here is this man called Agabus. He was a prophet. This is the same Agabus that we read about later on in the book of Acts who prophesied that Paul was going to be in for some trouble when he went to Jerusalem. But it says on this occasion, Agabus, uh, he prophesies a great famine uh, and the church at Antioch are moved to do something. Acts 11, 29 and 30, the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Note the equity in this. Each according to his ability. Giving is a spiritual discipline. And it's an expectation of being a believer. But to what extent are we participating in giving? This early church was proficient. They were gifted. This was a gifted church. Gifted with people. And I just, you know, I wish I could actually go back in time. See that DeLorean? I wish it was real. So that I could press 0040, whatever it is in this part of the, the, the story. And go back in time and land in Antioch. Knock all the bins over. And you know how it happens in Back to the Future for those who've seen it. And just go back in time and see this church and watch and learn from these guys who were in the church. People like Paul, people like Barnabas, the prophets. It says in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Acts 13.1. Some of them, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manon, Saul, gifted people. I would love to be in a church like that and just to be sitting and listening watching, learning, and saying, can I have a go? Can I have a shot? Please, can I have a shot? I'd love to be part of that church. But here's the thing. It's the same Holy Spirit that's here. The same Holy Spirit can do incredible things here. But we need to give ourselves to the things that God is wanting to do. Last week, we thought about the fivefold ministry. And by the way, that's not the fivefold ministry. Okay? I know sometimes you want that to be the fivefold ministry. It's like, I'll give you what for, right? Okay, we're talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and how they're there to equip the church to grow. And this is the reason that we invite other people in sometimes to our fellowship, um, to come and speak into the life of the church, to speak into your lives, to be exposed to other things, because we need to develop in all these different areas of gifting. We each need to become proficient in our area of gifting, And it struck me when I was reading this passage, and this was last October I was reading this passage, that it was the church leaders that were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Read it in context. It talks about how they were prophets and teachers, and it talks about when they were worshiping and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts chapter 13 verse 2. If you lead in the church, if you lead anything in the church, or if you're part of any team, 
then maybe there's a responsibility on you to worship and fast, to pray and fast for your group, for the thing which you carry responsibility for. And are you praying over your area of ministry? Are you hearing what the Holy Spirit wants to say in that area of ministry? I think it's so important when we come together that our worship, you know, this, we kind of get out a way of doing things. We settle into a comfortable way of doing things, don't we? And sometimes I just kind of think, God, just please break into our comfortable way of doing things and come and do something different. Because we can get into a religious form. And we can look at other people and their religious forms and say, oh, that's a bit boring. I'm not into that. And my way is better, but we have our own religious forms and ways of doing, thing, doing things as well. But the thing is, when we come and we sing, it's not just singing. It's worship. It's about connecting with heaven. It's about what we are doing, ascending up into heaven, and we're believing at the same time that heaven is coming to earth in our praise the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. God lives in his, the praises of his people. There's something happens, there's a transaction happens when we worship. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in my uh, devotional time, whether I'm reading, praying, meditating, uh, singing, worshiping, praying in tongues, whatever it is, when I'm in that place and I'm taking that time out to listen to God, that's the place very often where God drops something into my spirit which is either for today to share in public or to share one-on-one with somebody. That's often when it happens. So if we want to hear from God, some people say, well, God never speaks to me. Well, God's wanting to speak. So there must be something wrong with our ears, our spiritual ears, and the time that we're setting aside to listen. You see, it's important when we come together to worship because something happens in the worship And my encouragement is that we pray about that before we come to church. Pray that God does something in and through the worship because we're glorifying the King of Kings. Something happens when we come together and pray. And there's still lots of space in all the prayer groups. And I, I just had a sense as I was preparing for today that God has wanted to unblock some dams in order for the streams of life to flow in the desert. God's want to unblock something, which means that somewhere, somewhere in this church, perhaps in your life, perhaps in the way we do things, perhaps in our administration, somewhere there are things which are holding back the life of the Spirit. Right? Have you ever seen a beaver build a dam? I've been privileged to be in a place just watching the beavers, you know, um, Josh and I were down fishing down the Tay. We were coming back up and we heard this almighty splash and we were like, that's some size of a salmon, that. <laughs> and then we come back up the next again night and in the same splash in the same place, I was like, salmon don't jump in the same place twice. That's a bit strange. And then we were down one night and uh, we're fishing out in this wee point, there's, there's kind of rocks and uh, we're, we're out and you can see up the river and down the river from these rocks. And Josh is like that. It's like, a, it's like a golem in the river moment if everybody's seen the Lord of the Rings. It's like, there's eyes watching us. And it was a, it was a wee beaver with its nose just above the, and its eyes watching. But, but the, the thing that they love to do is build dams. There's, a, there's actually a tree 
it was shallow enough for me to wade across the river on one occasion and go across to this wee island bit. And there's a tree, a beech tree, which is this size, and it's a bit, it's a way into this down at the bottom because the beaver's been eating away at it. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting totally sidetracked. I apologise. <laughs> the point is, they chop down trees and they build dams and they stop the water from flowing. There's a reason for them doing that. But we can build things into our lives, we can build things into our corporate thinking as a church, into our corporate thinking as leaders as a church, leaders of your group. We can build things in that cause there to be a dam that stem, that stop the flow of the Spirit, that stop what God wants to do in the church. And I believe God is saying it's time to begin to unblock the dams. It's time to let the rivers flow. And we each have a responsibility to do something about that. We need to look at our own lives. We need to look at our leadership. We need to look at how we organize ourselves and say it's time to unblock some of the dams to let the life of God flow. Time for the life of God to flow through every group, every ministry, and every area of influence that we have as a church. These were gifted people in the church. God is calling us into greater areas of service and giftedness. And let me just say it again in case we've forgotten. The gift comes in order for the church to be built up. The only occasion that I can see where spiritual gifts aren't for the wider church, but for the individual is the gift of tongues, where it says that when somebody speaks in a tongue, they build themselves up, they edify themselves, okay? When a message in tongues comes, there needs to be an interpretation in order for the church to be built up, okay? Other than that, it's a gift that edifies us and seek Spiritual gifts, the Bible says. This was a church, finally, which was propagating. I just tried to find a word that began with P. Because <laughs> it would do my head in if I had to have something else on the end that didn't begin with a P. Uh, anyway, we need to move on from that subject. This was a generous church. A church that was prepared to release the gifted people. If it was me, I'd be tempted to say, Rashid, you're a really gifted person. I'm not going to let you go off to that other place and do whatever it is. I'm going to keep you here, right? Because I need you here, right? I need your gift in here in the church, right? That's what I would be tempted to do, but that's not what these people did. Because the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Send them off. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's tough for me as well. You see, it's so tempting to keep all the giftedness to ourselves. But that's not the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift is that the church might grow, is that the church might be built up. I am so glad that the gospel found its way to Greek people in Antioch. I wish we had one of these websites that was spiritualancestry.com. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being able to trace your spiritual ancestry all the way back and keep going, the person who influenced me that brought me to Jesus, who influenced them and brought them to Jesus, and who influenced them and brought them to Jesus. And 
going all the way back, I think a lot of us in here today would find ourselves going all the way back to Antioch or somewhere close because people were generous with the gifts that they had. What does it say? After they had fasted and prayed, they'd been worshiping and fasting and they heard the voice of the Spirit. Then they prayed and fasted some more. And then, then they placed hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off the first missionary journey. And my prayer is that we become ascending church. We need to consider what happened here. The Holy Spirit spoke. The disciples and the apostles were practicing spiritual disciplines, listening, and they were obedient. They prayed, and they sought the blessing of God. They laid hands on Barnabas and Saul and commissioned them through prayer. And then they were sent out to do what God had asked them to do. And what occurs now is the first missionary journey. And they also take along somebody to help them, a man called John. And we can see in this picture roughly where they went. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmas, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. And as you begin to read through Acts 13 and 14, and the references coming up on the screen there, you see how they traveled around this area sharing the good news of the gospel. And it's as they're doing this that they face opposition. You see, the church started and grew in opposition. And when they went out to minister, they experienced opposition. Saul and Barnabas, they experienced opposition. Let me read this. Uh, they traveled through the whole uh, island until they came to Paphos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. This man, Sergius Paulus, was a Roman commander-in-chief, and he was the high hedging. He was the judge. He was a guy with influence. And alongside him was this man called Elymas, and it's through this man that they experience opposition. But let me pull out a few things from this that we can learn from. When we face opposition, like Paul, we need to start at the beginning. This is what it says. Then Saul filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where it begins. We will all face opposition on more than one occasion sometimes in the same minute. We all face opposition. There are things which come against us and stop us from trying to grow in the faith. All of us will experience opposition. If we want to overcome opposition, we need to be filled with the Spirit because the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. That's how God achieves things. And if you don't believe me, go all the way back to Genesis and you'll read it there that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was brooding over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering, ready to move. And all the way through Scripture, you see, we think that the Holy Spirit only came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had been continually active through history. 
And this is where it begins, filled with the Spirit. You see, we'll all experience opposition and we'll experience it in different ways. I remember years and years ago, watching the television and there was a comedy show on and uh, I had just kind of flicked over to this channel and uh, was watching this. It was kind of, you know, you get these comedy shows that are kind of sketches and then I'll finish that sketch and I'll go on to the next one, that kind of show. And I'm sitting watching this and it's some people at a party and they're all having a laugh and drinking and chatting and blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the conversation zooms into two people and uh, one of them's talking to the other person and then the other person responds by talking about Jesus. And of course, that's the joke. The joke is made about somebody who's sharing their faith. The joke is made about a Christian who then begins in this context to talk about Jesus. Do you know what? That for me was opposition. That got into my soul at that point in time. This was years and years ago, about 60 years ago. It actually got into my spirit. Something got in there. I'm only kidding, Margot. It wasn't really 60 years ago. Yeah. But something about that got into my spirit, and it, it took me a while to shake that off. I had to pray through that and shake that off because I thought, is this how we're viewed? Are we just comedians? Do people just make fun of us all the time? Do we really have a message that's worth sharing? Yes, we do. Do people make fun of us? Yes, they do. Should we expect that? Yes, we should. Because we should expect opposition. But the problem was for me that I allowed it to get into my soul. And rather than starting at the beginning and being filled with the Spirit, I began to be filled with other things. Filled with this idea that, man, I don't know if I want to go and share my faith if that's how people think about us. Because that's not how I thought about it when I shared my faith. Filled with the Spirit. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we've got to take some things out first. Okay? We've got to, through prayer, just get rid of some things and offload some things, confess some things. You see, opposition can come in all sorts of ways. Well, what did Paul do? Well, he did start at the beginning, but he also stared down the opposition. And it's so important that we learn from this. Paul looked straight at Elemas. We don't like that direct contact, do we? I'm not going to pick on anybody to look at them, okay? I'll just preach up here, okay? He just looked at the guy. He didn't ignore it. He didn't hide behind a text or an email or a letter or a Facebook post or a tweet. He didn't hide behind anything. He just eyeballed this person, looked at him straight in the eye because he was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with a confidence that God gave him, filled with boldness, looked at him straight in the eye. When you experience opposition, you need to look your opposition in the eye. Because we will all experience opposition. We will all experience challenges. But we need to remember not to rise to the opposition in the flesh, but in the power of the Spirit. Because if we rise to the bay, if we rise up in our own flesh then what we will create will not be glorifying to God. Lastly, Paul spoke with wisdom, discernment, authority. So, then Saul filled with the Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, listen to this, would you speak to anybody like this? 
Seriously, I, I don't know if I would. I, I, don't, I wouldn't have the confidence to say this. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. <gasps> My goodness, Paul is bold, isn't he? You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? And then he makes a declaration. Now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you're going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Declaration. Then there's a demonstration. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And then finally, there's deliverance. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed about the teaching of the Lord. Start at the beginning. When you face opposition, start at the beginning. The early church is characterized by being filled with the Spirit. There are gifts of the Spirit in demonstration. There is evidence of the Spirit's work in the lives of these believers. And specifically, when Paul faced opposition from this man, he needed to be filled with the Spirit. It says there specifically, Luke records that for us, that he was filled with the Spirit. He looked straight to Elmas, and then he said, and we need to face our opposition directly. You see, opposition, we should expect it. But opposition can become our opportunity. Opposition was the opportunity for the gospel to spread to us. And I'm so thankful for that. What are you facing today? What is opposing you as a Christian today? Only you know what that is. The things that are against you. The things that are stopping your progress as a Christian. The things that stop you from that moment back when the beast from the east came. Till now. If you haven't grown as much as you felt you should have. It's those things which get in the way which oppose us and stop us from growing. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to stare down the opposition. There's no spiritual armor referenced for the back. There's a breastplate of righteousness. There's a sword of the Spirit, a belt of truth, and so on. There's nothing mentioned for the back. There's no way that we should be turning our back on the enemy. Never, never, never face the enemy and speak into the situation. Speak into your situation. And maybe that speaking into your situation is putting on a CD and beginning to worship. That's speaking into the situation just the same. The Bible talks about putting on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Sometimes we need to do that. Despite how we feel, we're going to praise. Despite what's going on, I'm going to praise despite the opposition, and that can be close to hand, that opposition. The opposition can come from within our own families at times. We need to speak into the situation and speak the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Um, musicians, if you could come back up to the platform, please. Father, we recognize that opposition can come from all sorts of places, expected and unexpected. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to speak into 
our situation. Father, whatever we are facing today, this week, in the last while, Father, if it's a physical thing, an emotional thing, or a spiritual thing, Father, whatever is stopping us or holding us back or we feel is uh, just, uh, just something in our life that stops us from growing with you, Father, we just bring that before you today and we ask that you would move in that situation. And Father, we pray that you'd come and that you'd fill us with your spirit and give us the strength and power to be able to face that. Father, we just pray for a release of anything that is holding back the flow of what you want to do. Father, whether that's at a personal level, a corporate level, Father, whatever it might be, whether it's a spiritual thing, a physical thing, an emotional thing, an administrative thing, Father, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom to see things as they are. Father, to look at our situation with your eyes, with the wisdom that you provide. And Lord, we pray that our prayers would be heard in heaven. Even today, Father, some of us are praying prayers and asking you to come into certain situations. And I encourage you to do that just now, right now, that you pray about that thing, that you name that thing in your heart just now, name that thing before God, that thing which holds you back, that thing which opposes you, that situation, perhaps it's a person, whatever it is, Perhaps it's a weakness that you have within yourself, something that's holding you back. I believe God wants to break through that thing today and bring release for you. And so, Father, we just pray in this moment that you bring release to those who are held captive with whatever situation. And, Father, that you would demonstrate your power in these situations. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Keep encouraging one another. Keep supporting one another. Keep praying for one another. And let's keep believing in the things that God is doing and wants to do. He says, behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God's always doing a new thing. Let's believe him. It's happening right now.